Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, incredible worship and ministry team, musicians. You know, I don't want you to go searching other church to find out how good you have it. Just go on my word. You have it really, really good. (laughs) Sometimes my folk would say, well, if you go searching around, you'll find out we got it pretty good. I said, don't go. Don't go searching. We'll just tell you, you got it good. No need going looking anywhere. Not just, as you know, in, in the area of worship here in this ministry, but as, and I know sometimes when, pastors say something nice about you coming to speak and you get here and you say something nice, you think it's just, you know, protocol. But um, I honestly have gone places where I've been very, very careful in the selection of my words because I did not want to try to lie before I tried to preach, you know. (laughs) Uh, I tell my people all the time, live your life in such a way that I don't have to lie at your funeral. Just please do it that way, and it makes it a whole lot easier on me. And so I, I don't have to lie about your pastors, and you know that. You hear it from a lot of different people, but it's just a, a confirmation and a validation of what you know in your hearts. But, but brother and sister Hilton, Russell, and Bev are incredible, incredible leaders, and you've been blessed now 22 years, 22 years with their leadership. And we knew Caitlin before there was an Ethan... And uh, she's still doing a great job, Ethan. I, I know you're doing a great job and blessed with those two new babies and grandbabies. I'm in grandparenting world too, so we, we pay attention to those things. My heart was broken that Eliana didn't like me though. My heart was broken. Somewhere the Lord will make that up to me. I have watched uh, in recent months, and as you have, I know, gleaned from your pastor's leadership heart on this theme of leadership, and now he's been trying to bring together a people of familiar and kindred spirit, share core values that cherish and value the same things that bring us together. And there was a day, and I don't mean this in any way negative, I'm, I, I find myself making a lot more cautionary statements before I say what I want to say these days. It seems like we're in this world in which every word is sparsed and torn apart and mistaken, and so, you know, I, my heart is genuine and pure, but it's, there was a time when just denominational associations could accomplish maybe uh, the connection that you needed and the vision and the sharing but I'm glad personally that those walls are being torn down. It doesn't mean we don't hold true to our faiths and our beliefs, but I like working together across the lines and recognizing that God's kingdom and his family is a lot bigger than just me and mine, and there's strength in that, and I love the way he's brought. uh, We've watched at a distance, listened in on some of those services with you and, and valued the contributions that they made, and uh, when, when, Pastor Russell asked me to come, and I checked in with him, and I said, this is the direction I'm going. I just don't like to be duplicit. I don't like to duplicate what the last person in, even though I know God can use the same message twice. I know that, but still, I, I don't like to be redundant if it doesn't necessarily need to be done. I am reminded, though, of the, of the gentleman who had become the pastor of a church, and he opened up his first Sunday, and he was preaching Acts 2 and 4 about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it was just an incredible sermon, and People loved it, and I mean, just tremendous outpouring in the altars, and uh, people just couldn't wait till the next week, and he'd come back, and he preached Acts 2 and 4 again, and next week, Acts 2 and 4, and they're beginning to wonder if he has any other sermons at this point other than Acts 2 and 4, and, you know, about six weeks in, he gets called into the boardroom, and the elders are asking him, you know, Pastor, what's going on here? You've preached nothing but the exact same message. I mean, not just the same text. You've actually preached the same message for seven or eight weeks in a row now. We just know what's up with that. And he said, well, I just didn't think there was any need to preach anything else until we started living up to the one I'm preaching. So <laughs> I don't know how long he was on there or if he got to stay on there. But sometimes there's some truth to that process. We need to hang out. I, I was sharing with your pastor, there's, 
before I get into the message, I, I used to hear people say, I want to say something important to you before I get into my message. I don't say it that way because I hope my message is important to you. But I, I was sharing with him something that I just want to say to you here tonight because I value you're in the room tonight. I value the fact that your pastor is leading you to be in the house of the Lord. And I know there are some limitations for some. I'm not trying to be negative to those that are watching online. Thank God during this time that we had technology to support and, and all of those kinds of things. But I, w- I want to share something with you that I want you to be in prayer about because I see this happening in the body of Christ and we need to, to be attentive to it. Um, if you go back, and I'm going to go back, let's just say a 10-year window, uh, 10 years ago, and I know times change and I'm not trying to be stuck in ruts and traditions and molds and all that. I just want you to hear me for just a minute. That not so far long ago, and maybe for, I know for my church, not so far long ago, there was the Sunday morning service, there was the Sunday night service, there was the Wednesday night service, and people were, uh, by and large, there was a committed core, some that couldn't be there all the time, but the large contingency of the church was connected in those ways, and if you do, you know, some addition to that, maybe if it was three or four hours on Sunday morning and a couple hours on Sunday night and a couple hours on Wednesday night and then you multiply that out because people attended every week, you know, 10 years ago. It wasn't as hit and miss as it seems. I'm talking about the frequency factor for just a minute. And, and so I did a calculation, and I noticed that about 10 years ago that if you were the stable, consistent church attendee at a local church and you came on campus for in-person, face-to-face, uh, across the room, across the table, connection and spiritual formation, you were privileged to get about 364 hours a year of spiritual formation in your life. 364 hours a year of spiritual formation. And, and, and even then, if you think about it, even then, our lives would be constantly challenged by a counterculture that was pulling on us and trying to get us depressed and negative and, you know, all those kinds of things. But that was, that was when we had 364 hours of spiritual influence in our lives. And I know that even times have changed and schedules have gotten busy and all those kinds of things. But the recent indication is that coming out of the post-pandemic world, not just the pandemic itself, but life patterns have changed because people got out of going to church or they had to work new schedules and maybe they have to work some Sundays and all those kinds of things. And a lot of churches aren't doing midweek. A lot of churches aren't doing a Sunday night. I mean, just this whole system has changed. I'm not trying to judge it. I'm just trying to tell you something, okay? So now they, they tell us that the average church attendee, there's exceptions to all these rules, but the average church attendee is getting a, approximately 36 hours a year, 36 hours a year of in-person, face-to-face, across the table, in the room, spiritual formation. So I, I, just, I just want to applaud you because you took the effort. You, you set yourself apart in the room tonight to not just be the status quo. That's what I'm trying to say to you here tonight. And I know all of this is still, we're still navigating it, but may I just encourage you that as you can, don't, don't, don't allow you to fall into that category, well, we don't have to be there every Sunday or we don't have to be there every Wednesday. I know we don't have to. I get to, but... But what I'm really trying to say is you need to value that as spiritual formation. This is the antidote to everything you're contending with out there in the world day in and day out. It will relieve you from the stress, from the pressures, from the dilution, from the overwhelmingness, from the I don't know what to do. I'm just telling you that this is the place that we come to to find peace and that passes all understanding, that finds strength in our inner man to keep going when we don't know how we're going to keep going, right? I, I just want to encourage you, don't, don't allow the enemy to pull you that direction, but as church is reopening and ministries are reopening and opportunities are afforded that you can get back. And, and again, I realize that some are still got health issues and there's still some barriers to overcome. I understand seasons, okay? I'm not, I'm not there. But I'm saying when this all gets behind us, let's get back in the house of God and say, God, feed us, feed us, feed us, feed us, feed us, feed us, because we need that ongoing spiritual formation in our life. I, and I know, again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on a, a pet complaint here tonight, but somebody said to me in my church, I was making this observation, and they, you know, they were saying, well, you know, that they still feel comfortable with technology, and I'll make two comments about it, and I'll get out of here, okay, out of that subject anyway. 
One is, and this is not the case everywhere, but one of my great concerns about even if you're still having to rely on online, online ministry for your situation or somebody that you know, my deep concern is the tragedy of the children. Now, some churches, we do, and some churches, they do a, a special program for the kids to watch and get their online formation, and that's not every church is doing that. And so, just like in the education system, I think our nation's going to see the, the hiccup of the pandemic on the educational system of our kids how much more are we going to see the hiccup of spiritual disruption in the lives of our kids? So parents, please, please be the priest of your home. Please be the leader of your home. Please don't, don't look as the church as the place to teach. They're their helper. They're a parachurch, a parent, parent ministry, but you still got to own up your responsibility and be strong in that. And then, you know, they're still my, oh, you know I, I like watching it online and I like this and all that. And I said, how would you like it if you lived your relationship with your wife through, only through technology? You didn't live in the same house. You lived in separate houses. You know, you emailed each other. You emojied one another. You know, your text message every now and then. But you never had face-to-face, in-person exposure to each other. What kind of relationship would you really have? And so I know that God is a spirit and we worship him in spirit and in truth, but we also know that he's the head of the church and we're the body. I'm not calling us Jesus. I'm just saying we are the body of Christ. And so we have to have intimate time together in order for that relationship with him to be complete. And so I value it. I, I encourage it. And I just, I, it's more than anything, I just wanted you to log this in your brain that 10 years ago, we had 364 hours a year of spiritual formation in person across the room together. And now on average, it's 36 hours per year, per year. L- most cases, three hours or less per month in person. And, and I just feel like that this needs to be something that we counterbalance, that we fight against and we push the tide back. And, and when God opens the door and gives us opportunity, let's get back to the house of God. Amen. In full force, in full force is what I'm trying to say. All right, now what I really want to say to you tonight. (laughs) I was sharing with your pastor that what had been laid on on my heart is something that the phrase will sound perhaps a little awkward uh, for a moment, but uh, I want you to listen into him. And I want to talk to you tonight, share with you tonight on a theme that I've identified as the anointing addiction. The anointing addiction. Now, you, you automatically, if you're not careful, the word addiction has, in, for most people, a negative association. And so you may have, well, is he talking about that? Is, is that wrong? Is he doesn't like the anointing? Does he think we shouldn't have this high regard for the anointing? No. Uh, I, I, sometimes we got to, in our world, we got to clean up the language a little bit and bring definition to things. And I think you'll hear my heart as we get into this tonight but I wrote this down, so I want to just kind of transfer it to you real quickly, that, that an addiction, by definition, is something that produces an, a craving, a craving in your life for something, a craving, and a growing desire for something stronger. A craving for something and a growing desire for something stronger. They, they tell us all the time that there are certain drugs, and again, I'm not trying to pick fights here tonight, but there are certain drugs that are like gateways that people might start out in this low-grade level, but they end up not being satisfied. Their body becomes unre- unmoved by it, and they need something stronger, need something stronger, and they need something stronger, right? And so what I want you to think about is that in our relationship with God and, and the Holy Spirit, that I believe God has created it so that we can become addicted to the anointing so that we have a craving for more and more and stronger and stronger and that I don't want to live on yesterday's anointing or the anointing that I got 10 years ago. I want a greater anointing for this season and for this next season in my life. And so I want you to kind of hold that in the backdrop that this is not a negative. This is a positive. This is an affirming thing. And I want to talk about how we look to this idea of developing a greater capacity for anointing in our lives or, to get your attention, anointing addiction. 
There's two passages I want to read real quickly. The first is one that is familiar. Well, all of these will be familiar to everyone. You're students of the word. But my reference point would be when Jesus started his public ministry. And he gave his, what I call his inaugural speech, when he's getting ready to transition from just Jesus of Nazareth to, to his full work and calling disciples and engaging in public miracles and wonders and those kinds of things. Luke chapter 4, you know it, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And, and these are his words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, if you like to write things down or highlight something or make a note there, I just go back to that where it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed, and hold on to the word me for just a moment. He has anointed me, and the next word is to. It's not popularly accepted because I don't want to, again, get into a defensive mechanisms of words here, but Jesus was saying to us that the purpose of the anointing is not to be something, it's to do something. Now, I know the Holy Spirit is given to us to form Christ in us, to make us, to regenerate us, and to form us into the image of Christ. That's the being part of the Holy Spirit. But he said he was anointed to do something. And so I, I'm not trying to introduce a new theology. I'm just trying to add a perspective to this work of the Holy Spirit for us tonight that while the Holy Spirit is creating in me a new heart, a clean heart, while he's working on me to make me the right kind of person and producing in me the fruit of the Spirit and developing my character, my need, so I can be the right person, that there's a dimension that I will call the anointing tonight that is to be associated with my assignment with my gifts, my calling, my purpose, my function. Now, in order for it to work correctly, I got to be the right person to do the right stuff because there are people who are trying to do stuff and they ain't the right people. And so the Bible says there are clouds without water. They're hollow. They're empty. They're, they're not effective. And so I'm going to dive into this a little bit here in just a minute. But here, here's Jesus starting his public ministry. He's a model of example for us. This is how you do it. He took on the robes of humanity. He could have done all these things in pure divinity, but he becomes the God-man. And he shows us the importance of reliance upon the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit so he can show us that, yes, he was tempted in like the same ways we were. He dealt with demon spirits just like what we did, uh, we do. He was hungry just like we are. He needed sleep. So in humanity, he's dealing with all this. But the way he became effective for his assignment was by the anointing. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me too. Now, again, I don't want to get into a political argument or, or divisiveness or stir something inappropriate here. So please take my words kindly here. But really, this ought to be the Me Too movement that we're talking about. I, I don't agree with I'm, 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 I, My heart breaks for every person that's been violated. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not trying to, to minimize that in any way. But the real Me Too movement ought to be he's anointed Me Too. That should be the Me Too movement we're talking about. He has anointed me to make a difference. He's anointed me to preach the gospel. He's anointed me to cast out devils. He's anointed me to heal the sick. He's anointed me. You hear me? That should be the Me Too movement of the church. We ought to be in that kind of a movement. Now, I understand that sometimes things linger, and this story is going to become very vivid, I hope, before we close up here tonight. I'm going to try to compress all this in tonight. But I want to give you one more passage before I pray. Psalm chapter 92. Psalm chapter 92, verse number 10, is written by a psalmist, I'll go into this in greater detail, who is believed to be a Levite of the, of the Levite family who would have served in the temple in the ceremonial practices of preparation. The time of this psalm is believed to be at the end of Babylonian captivity when Cyrus, king of Persia, has announced that all the Jews who are ready can go home to their homeland if they go under one condition to rebuild the temple Rebuild their lives, rebuild their families, rebuild their businesses. But the first thing they got to do is rebuild the, the temple. Rebuild the temple and reestablish that worship. And so, it, it, and I'll, I'll unpack this a little bit more, but it is believed that this man who writes in Psalm chapter 92 was of one of those members of the Levite priesthood 
who had been carried away into captivity as a child, hears the announcement that King Cyrus says they can go home, and he starts dreaming. Uh, let me use a different term. So when somebody says something about peanut M&Ms to me, I start salivating, okay? So he's salivating. I catch that spirit. Amen. I see that hand. Glory to God. I got a witness. Yeah, I'll get another one there. He hears that there's about to be the reopening of the temple. And the things that he had tasted as a child 70 years earlier are about to be returned back into his life. And he's in a dream stage. He's in a vision stage. And he says in Psalm 92.10, But my horn, thou shalt exalt like the horn of a unicorn or a wild ox. And I shall be anointed with fresh oil anointed with fresh oil. If, if God by his Holy Spirit will help me and you will join with me tonight, my prayer is before we close this place out tonight that we will gather around here and we will lift our hands like that man in Psalm 92 and say, I'm ready to be anointed with fresh oil for my assignment that God has for me right now. Can somebody say amen? amen. Father, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus as you've instructed us to, if we ask anything in the name of your son, it will be done. So we come in that name that we've celebrated and rejoiced here tonight in worship and elevated and proclaimed. And in that name, we ask according to your will. And we have this promise that if we ask anything according to your will, you'll do it. And so it is your will that your people would be saved, healed, delivered, and filled with your Holy Spirit and anointed for their purpose and their assignment. And so tonight, Although many of us, we walk each week with a desire to be anointed. We try to, before we come into pulpits or stand on platforms or walk in classrooms or enter into hallways, we ask you to give us an anointing for that day. But tonight, Lord, I'm just asking for a special anointing. I'm asking for a fresh anointing on the house tonight. Fresh oil. Fresh oil from the throne of heaven tonight. Now I pray that your Holy Spirit will do what we ask in every time, and that is to personalize and customize this message so that every person in this room hears what you need them to hear. You've prepared my heart, and I've prepared myself for this moment, but the greatest communicator in the room is the Holy Ghost. And every person in this room is going to hear something appropriate but certainly unique to their life because you have that ability to personalize and customize into our hearts and lives what you need to say to us. So let him that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is going to say to the church. In your name we pray, and everybody said, amen. 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 I said to you a moment ago that I do not want to in any way suggest a new theology here tonight, but I do want to perhaps add a perspective. Uh, a number of years ago, I found myself doing a series on the Holy Spirit, and I was calling it Dimensions of the Holy Spirit. And I thought it was just going to be two or three messages. And two years later, I was still preaching on the dimensions of the Holy Spirit because I discovered that the vastness of the work of the Holy Spirit is just that profound that we couldn't grasp it all in just one moment, that we needed to break it down and break it down. And so my, my perspective on the Holy Spirit has always been perhaps broad in its scope. And, and I believe, as, as I think this room does, and I know your leadership does, that, that we hold these truths to be absolutely evident in our lives, salvation through the name and by the blood of Jesus Christ and by faith and through grace and not of works lest any man should boast. And we understand that beyond that, we have to move forward in our own regenerative process. We have to become like Christ, the, dis the disciplines of the believer. But we have been given to, our, to us the benefit of the work of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit that allows for the infilling. We know that the Holy Spirit is present at salvation because we have a witness of the Spirit that we are of Christ. So so there's a witness of the Holy Spirit even at that moment. We know the Holy Spirit is already working to regenerate us, I believe, from the Scriptures, even before we experience the full infilling of the Holy Spirit because he's already working to change us into the image of Christ. So there's, there's an ongoing work. So there's layers and dimensions and works and facets of the Holy Spirit that he's doing in our lives. And, and then we come to that well-known established point in Scripture of Acts chapter 2 when there is that distinctive outpouring of the Holy Spirit where they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the initial uh, physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in their life. They spoke languages that they didn't 
not learn, to people that they did not know, and cultures that they did not understand, and it was all made possible by the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and we have the privilege, and when the Holy Spirit comes in, I'm going to get there, but, but when the Holy Spirit comes in, there's some immediate benefits into our life. He gives us power over sin. I'm not a weakling anymore. Sin shows up, and the Holy Ghost says, now here... If I ask him for help, I mean, he, the, the enemy is persistent, right? And, and so he's going to keep trying. And so when I would maybe fall weak and pray and give in because I get worn down, the Holy Ghost doesn't do that. The outward man may perish, but the inward man is renewed day by day. And so the Holy Ghost gets stronger and says, I said not here. And, and you, before long you realize greater is he that is in me than he that in the world. And as old Candy Staten, I think this song of young ago is sin don't live here anymore. We, we get past that moment in our life and it's not easy I mean sometimes we stumble we have to get back up and we don't live lives of absolute perfection it's not that we we're going to sin but if we sin we have an advocate with the father we confess our sin you get where I'm saying but but I know this I know that I'm a whole lot stronger in serving Jesus with the Holy Ghost than what I was without the baptism of the Holy Ghost I can tell you that not only do I know that I'm stronger against the temptation of sin I'm 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 stronger against the devil himself yeah, I, they're just something that fortifies my spirit that when the Holy Ghost came in, I felt stronger. I felt like I wasn't going to dare the devil, but I wasn't going to run from him either, you know? I mean, there have been some days that I dared him, but on general platform, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't start out picking fights with the devil. I just like, okay, if he shows up, I'm better prepared than what I was before to resist him and to, to put him and to remind him that I'm no longer a servant or a slave to sin I'm a servant of the Most High God. So I'm not going to give my life into members of unrighteousness, but I'm going to give my life as members of righteousness unto God. I also know that as part of that, he equips us for service. He, the gifts of the Spirit are a part of that, and the fruit of the Spirit is our nature building. And he also gives us boldness. Are you glad for boldness? For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. That, that when the world wants to talk about all their stuff, we do not have to be ashamed of the gospel of the Jesus Christ for it is the power of God and the salvation, amen? So with boldness, but you know, without the power of the Holy Spirit, you sometimes might get intimidated by sharing your faith, but he just gives you a boldness, a courageous spirit. And, and all that is, is a part of that core infrastructure of our life. But when I think about the anointing for a minute, that, that dimension that I want to focus in tonight, I, I feel like that, while the Holy Spirit identifies or places that gifting because the 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says he gives to every man severally as he wills. So he's the orchestrator and the assignee of gifts, talents, callings, purposes. You see what I'm saying? He's the one that's doing the delegation. And, and, and then there is that anointing that I believe accompanies that assignment when we are operating in the atmosphere or in the attitude of that assignment that we should be operating in. In other words, you could be called to do an assignment and you could do it without being properly surrendered, if you will, in your life in every way possible that you should be. And you could function in, in, out of your abilities, but it's not the same as functioning under the anointing. I know some very talented people. I know some very talented, I mean, I know talented singers, I know talented musicians, I know talented communicators, teachers, and, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm amazed at their caliber and capacity to communicate and to, to deliver through their gifts and talents and abilities. But I've also seen times when they were doing it in themselves, that they were just that good, that they didn't sense the reliance upon or the need for asking for the anointing to come upon their life. One of the most earth-shaking moments of my entire life, a young man, 18 years of age, starting out in full-time ministry up in Eureka, California, preaching a revival. It had gone on for like three weeks. I was staying in the parsonage where the pastor was, a single guy and preaching every night and just services going great. And we'd come to the, to the end of the meeting. He felt like it was time to, to close the meeting and move on. I had no problem with that at all. And he said, you know, Brother Bates, you go ahead and preach on Sunday morning, and then I'm going to preach on Sunday night. Since I haven't preached for a while, I'm going to, you can go on and travel to your next meeting, and I'll preach on Sunday night. I said, okay. So I, I preached that Sunday morning, and I'm packing up my car and getting stuff out. And, and again, you, you, if you hear my heart, don't judge me at the beginning of my story. Listen to my full story, okay? 
So he, I'm going in and out, taking stuff to my car, and I see the pastor, and he's sitting in the living room, and he's got his eyes screwed up, uh, attuned to this football game that's on. And I'm not against football. I'm not against watching football, okay? So I'm not an anti-TV, anti-football, anti-all that stuff, okay? So he's just watching football, which is his prerogative, right? So I'm going in and out, but then it's beginning to dawn on me. He's, that game's going long. I hadn't seen him leave the living room. And now I'm wondering if there's been a miscommunication on my part. So I stopped and I said, Pastor, I just need to make sure something. Are you expecting me to preach tonight or are you preaching tonight? Oh, no, no, I'm preaching. I said, okay. So I'm carrying my stuff out and I'm doing more praying than he's doing because I'm worried about the three weeks I just invested in this revival and he's about to let it all go down the drain in one night. And I'm going back and forth, and I step in there, and I know I crossed the line. I'm 18 years old. I had no business. Doing it. I said, no, really, Pastor, look, I really think you ought to let me preach tonight. I know you're really involved in this game. It's an OT now, and it's going to run really close to church time. I really don't mind preaching one more service here. I think I'm prayed up. I think I'm ready to go. I've been praying for you all. And he said, ah, it's no problem. Come with me. And he had a, a, an office made out in the garage, a little segment of the garage where he had made himself an office in the Again, you have to hear my whole story. Don't judge me too early in this, okay? So he goes out there, and he's looking in the shelf, and he pulls a, a, a binder off, and he opens this three-ring binder, and he's flipping through there. And, and, and again, nothing wrong with developing messages and, and maybe coming back and being uh, able to minister a message a second time. We sing songs 15 zillion times. Why can't you preach a message again? So, so nothing, see, don't judge me. I'm okay. I don't mind that he's got a notebook full of sermons. That doesn't bother me at all. What he said bothered me. He opens it up, turns the book around, and he makes this statement to me. And he says, Brother Bates, this sermon's so good, I can preach it with or without God. That is what I did. And then the Holy Spirit said, how many times do people go to church to teach that Sunday school class and they haven't prayed over it? Because they're good enough to teach that lesson with or without praying over it. How many singers have covered a platform to lead worship and they didn't seek God's face before they went to the platform because they're good enough to sing those songs that they know. Huh? Yeah, you see what I'm saying? So before you gasp at that man's reality, make sure you and I have to check myself regularly and say, God, don't ever let me get to the place that I think anything I do, I can do with or without you because I know what the word says, without you, I can do nothing. So I beg you, don't go teach in a kindergarten class or go teach a, only a boy named David children's song in the nursery without at least saying a moment, God, anoint me. If I'm going to work with kids, let me work with kids. If I'm going to lead a song, let me lead a song. If I'm going to teach a lesson, if I'm going to greet at the front door, if I'm going to take up the offering, if I'm going to run the sound system, whatever I do, God, don't let it just be a my ability. Let me do it with you, God. I need you. That's my addiction to the anointing. That's my craving for the anointing. It, it, it's a refusal to try to do the things that other people might find acceptable to do without a reliance, without a craving for, without a dependency for this work of the Holy Spirit in, in their lives. And so as we, we think about this anointing that, that even Christ spoke of, think about this with me for just a moment. He said, as he starts his public ministry, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me too, Right? So does anybody in this room believe that he wasn't anointed already in heaven? I mean, he, he's the son of God. I think he was anointed in heaven before he came to earth. I don't think this is a new day that he's never been anointed before. But I think the anointing that he had for his role in heaven was different than the anointing that he had for his assignment on earth. And he was modeling for us that there'll be a day when there's a different anointing that we're going to get up there. But right now, there's an anointing that we need for this right now, this vein in which we walk in. And if you're anointed to cast out devils, then be anointed to cast out devils. If your gifting is to preach the gospel, then preach the gospel with the anointing. Whatever your assignment is, whatever your anointing is, do it with a dependency of the anointing upon my life, upon your life. 
become addicted, to refuse every time, uh, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's Wednesday night here, whether I'm on the road, whether I'm jumping off the airplane and going straight to the service, somewhere in that window, I am bowing my head and, and saying, Holy Ghost, I can't do this without you. I, the anointing I had at my house on Sunday morning at my church house is not the same anointing I need for tonight. See, there's anointing in this house uh, that is different than the anointing in my house because this house has a different assignment. It's got an Indianapolis assignment, and I got an Oklahoma City assignment. I have seen people come from one city and think that their anointing's going to fix your city. <laughs> you, you, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to create wars here. I'm trying to create challenge in the room, all right? But I know that the anointing that I have there is for that place. That's why that, that there's a, an anointing that, that accomplishes. When I come here, you know how the anointing of this house I have to honor, I have to recognize? And you know what that means? That means I better be in good harmony with the, with the elder of the house, right? Because if, if I'm talking bad about him and I'm saying stuff that I shouldn't be, and he doesn't know it, doesn't know it, but I know it and the Holy Ghost knows it, then I'm not going to have the flow of the anointing in the house because I'm not in submission to the elder of the house. Same thing is true with you. When you come in this house, you need to get under submission. You need to walk in obedience. You need to be in the right place. See, I believe there is a place, a place in which we find ourselves in in which the anointing is at its richest moment in our life. I believe there's a place that we fall in. I, I'm not talking about geography. I, I, I know I mentioned Oklahoma City and Indianapolis, but you understand what I'm saying. I'm talking about that there's a, there's a place that we need to be in, a spiritual place that we need to be in, not a geographical address, but a spiritual place that when we're in that place, some people call it being in the zone. When you're in that zone, I'm telling you, that anointing flows and you know it. And you, you, I mean, I walked off the pulpit and said, you know what, Robert, I need to go listen to that sermon because I said stuff I didn't know I was going to say. And the Holy Ghost was just flowing right through that place and there was things happening. I got to go back and catch that because it wasn't me, it was him. And it was just a, a zone, a flow of that spirit moving through you at that particular moment. And so you've got to find a way to get in that place in which you can get in the optimum experience of the anointing and that is a, an important place. For, it's, a, it's a place of obedience. First with God. Because if you're not in obedience to him, how can I stand up here if I'm not in obedience to God? How can I stand up here and ask him for his anointing on this message today? Jesus could ask and say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me because he was doing the will of the Father. He said, I'm doing the will of the one who has sent me. He was doing the will. He left heaven laid down his deity, took on humanity, suffered, experienced all the undesirable experiences of earth because he was willing to do what his father asked him to do. He was obedient. And because he was obedient, he was able to operate under the anointing. He was in submission. We have to be in submission to the house. We have to be in submission to leadership. If I'm not in submission, then it creates challenges or problems. We have to be in the right position relationally with God. When I, when I say that, I want... I was trying to say, to figure out how to best communicate this to you. And again, I, sometimes my vocabulary gets me in trouble, the words I use. And so don't judge me by what you start hearing me say, okay? But I'm afraid. I'm afraid that too many people don't have the, the meaningful consistent relationship with God on a day-to-day -day basis like they're supposed to have. This is a hard word. And when they only have a relationship with God that they have on Sunday, then they are prostituting God. Because they come and give him what he needs or wants so they can have what they want and they leave and don't think about him again until they need something from him again. And if we're going to be people of the anointing, we've got to be people of his presence. That's not just showing up on Sunday and feeling his presence. It's every day being people of his presence 
Spending time in the Word. It doesn't have to be a two-hour Bible study, but get in His Word. Spending time in prayer. It doesn't have to be a seven-hour prayer meeting, but get in some time of prayer. It doesn't have to be these long. I thank God when I have those deeper, longer moments in my life, but every moment won't be like that. You got babies to change and kids to feed and a job to do. You got to fill up the car and got to wash the clothes. You got all kinds of stuff you got to do. So it's not always, but you got to learn how to pray when you're washing the clothes and pray when you're changing the diaper and quote the word whenever you're driving the car down the road. You got to learn how to walk in his presence. Be in his presence. Be people of his presence. So that wherever we are, wherever we go, people signify or notice there's something different about them, not because of the way we dress or because of the bumper sticker on our car, but because we are people of his presence. We cannot operate in that full dimension of the anointing that God wants to put on your life and on your ministry and on your assignment when our own spiritual condition and spiritual health overall is, is lacking. Let me say one more thing about this, and I, I want to transition here a little bit. But please, and I appeal not in a negative way. Again, hear my words. Because people, they get hung up on my early statements, and then they can't listen to the remedy here. I love... Personally, I love what God is doing in the body of Christ in creating new elements of worship, lights, atmospheres. I, that, that doesn't bother me. Some people, they, don't, they can't handle it. That's okay. They can go to a place and a service where that doesn't distract them if that's their case. But I, I'm not bothered by it. In fact, I find it very enriching. And, and if I'm going to take my wife on a date, I don't take her to the place that feels like it's the sterilization room at the hospital operating room. I'm going to take her to the place that got some flowers on the table and a little lower lights, you know, a little atmosphere. So I like coming to atmosphere. And this is, I I'm, I'm, don't mean this harsh. Please, younger generation, hear my heart. I do not mean this. I'm trying to bring a perspective here. But we must never confuse atmosphere for anointing. Because we can create atmosphere, but only he provides the anointing. And so I do get concerned, not everybody, but in some places I feel like they're worshiping the atmosphere and they forgot to worship the one who gives the anointing in the room. So let's make sure we keep it balanced in our life. Yeah, let's have the lights, let's have the atmosphere, let's have these benefits that create an environment for us to focus and concentrate and, and all those things. But let us always remember that that is not the anointing, but the anointing can come as a result of those things if we have the right mind and the right spirit and it brings us into the right perspective of worship and points to him. I'm talking about my addiction to the anointing. Because here's what I know, and I think, you'll, I think you'll agree to this, that when you have experienced the anointing, you don't ever want to live without it. I have preached with the anointing, and unfortunately, I have preached where I didn't pray appropriately and I didn't have the anointing, and I would much rather preach with the anointing every time. Flip that. I have heard people preach with the anointing, and I've heard people preach that didn't have the anointing, and I would much rather listen to those who had the anointing, right? So I think God is trying to create this appetite, this longing, this craving, if you will, back in the body of Christ, not to take away from atmosphere, not to take away from preparation, not to take away from study and all these other things that are appropriate and spiritual disciplines that we do. But all of these things are designed to bring us into the right place spiritually, to bring us in the right place obediently to his will, to bring us in alignment with his word and according to his will. Because when we get there and we know our place and we know our purpose, and we walk in that place, Get watch out, because just as Jesus said, I am anointed by the Spirit of the Lord to do these things, you will be anointed by the Holy Spirit to operate at a level that you have never operated in by yourself. I always say, Holy Ghost makes you better than what you can be by yourself. If I, if I borrow the negative connotation of addiction, when someone is going through withdrawals from alcohol or drugs or whatever that may be in their life, there's this 
series of events that goes on in the, in the chemistry of the body and the attitude, the brain, the, all the, I mean, like a world shutting down. And I think as I look around the body of Christ, I think the dysfunction at times that I see in the body of Christ, the sick weakness that I'm seeing in some places in the body of Christ is the evidence that they're on anointing withdrawals. They are now trying to do it in the arm of the flesh, the arm of perfection, the arm of what they can do. And it's left the body dysfunctional. It's left the body sick and weak and without the power that it's needed to have. And so my challenge tonight is to just remind us of how important it is to be under that anointing, to love that anointing, to crave that anointing, not just, the, not just that, that baptism of the Holy Spirit that first comes that gives us that power and that surge over the enemy, but that anointing that when we operate in that gifting, that place, that call, that service, that we sense our effectiveness is so much greater. You, you know, do you understand the reason why singing with the anointing and singing without the anointing, do you understand why the difference that the anointing is making there? I mean, logistically. Do you understand what's happening different when somebody's preaching under the anointing versus not preaching? Logistically, I'm, and there's actual something that's happening. Do you understand what's happening in a classroom when, when people are teaching with the anointing or without the anointing? Do you understand in the logistical spiritual world the difference between those two? Because when you are not teaching, preaching, singing, doing all the functions of your calling, outside of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, then you are talking to people who are bound up. You're talking to territorial spirits that are controlling the environment. But when you operate under the anointing, uh, the Bible says the anointing breaks uh, the stronghold. The anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. Uh, and so when I preach, uh, the spirits have to get out of the way. Uh, the shackles have to fall off. Uh, the distractions in my ear have to get out of the way. The, the things that make it difficult uh, for me to understand and comprehend are removed. Uh, and all of a sudden I understand because the anointing is breaking those things out of the room. That's why there is liberty where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty because the anointing is breaking that environment. So when you're witnessing to a friend and you feel like you're getting nowhere, say, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom for a minute. Holy Ghost, I, I've been telling him my story. I told, I, I told this story before and people were bawling their eyes out and falling on the floor and wiping their noses and ain't nothing happening. I need some help. Holy Ghost, anoint me. You go back to that table and you start, let me just tell it one more time. Let me tell you, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's resonating. All of a sudden it's making sense. All of a sudden the shackles are falling off and the blinders are falling off and they're now they're weeping and they're absorbed in the story. Why? It's because the anointing was breaking the yoke off of them. That's why it becomes a necessity. In the Old Testament, the anointing, as you well know, you're students of the word around here, the anointing was typically in the Old Testament applied to three offices, the prophet, priest, and king. And it was applied to all the elements of the tabernacle so that those elements would be set apart and not used for common purposes, but sanctified or set apart, anointed for exclusive service. So if you used a bowl at the tabernacle for the laver to wash their hands, the priest, before they went in, you couldn't take that home and put oatmeal in it because it was sanctified now. And the priests and the Levites and all those people, they couldn't go back and be farmers. They couldn't go back and do the old routines because now they had been set apart by the anointing upon their life. And so we understand that in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we understand that, that we're all the, the body of Christ. We're all the temple of the Lord. We're, we're all the members of the priesthood, the, uh, the royal priesthood. So we all have the benefit of this anointing upon our life. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to bring this parallel just real quickly here. So I said to you a moment ago when I read from Psalm chapter 92 and verse number 10 where the psalmist said, but my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of the unicorn and I shall be anointed with fresh oil. That the, the byline, the backstory is believed to be that this writer at the time in which he was a young boy just learning the practices of the temple, perhaps it seems that he might have been a part of the family that was assigned the mixing of the oil. There were people who had to make bread for the show bread. 
There were people who were in charge of candles. They had to get the candles out. There were people who were responsible for mixing a very special uh, 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 composition of anointing oil mixed with certain herbs and certain elements uh, to have a certain aroma. So all of these things would be recognized and practiced. And so it is believed that this, this, this person might have, in fact, been just learning that trade, learning that process, his assignment in the tabernacle when Nebuchadnezzar invaded the land, stole the people away, carried them away into Babylonian captivity and destroyed the temple. It is believed, best records they can find, seem to indicate that when they knew they were under attack, that all the people in ministry took everything they could and tried to hide it on their bodies so they could carry some elements of it with them into this foreign land. And so it is believed that those who were the makers, and this will be my focus, I can't talk about all the different parts, but the makers of the anointing oil that was used, because they didn't just anoint these lavers and these bowls and, and these tabernacles and tables one time and forget about it. They kept anointing them, right? They wanted to keep them anointed, so they kept fresh, just like they had fresh bread, they had to have fresh oil. <laughs> so you don't even wash your face in that bowl until we anoint it again. <laughs> You hear what I'm saying? Every piece had to be freshly anointed before they could function in its assignment. And so there was a constant making of the oil. And a So can you imagine? I mean, I love cinnamon rolls. And so I was in San Diego one time, and I walked into this open-air mall, and my nose, like a hunting dog, smelt cinnamon rolls. And I'd never been in this mall before, but I was going to find me some cinnamon rolls. And so I'm walking. I'm going around and around. I'm looking. I go to the next floor. I can't find them. And it ends up that this, this uh, cinnamon roll place is on the top floor, not even in the food court. He's in like in a back corner, like over by the shoe department. I mean, he doesn't, he's completely out of place. And I'm like, how in the world can this guy sell any cinnamon rolls? And how in the world did I catch the aroma? And then I noticed something. He had taken the, the return vent of the air conditioning system of the mall and put it directly over the cinnamon roll oven, so it was being piped through the entire mall. Mm. Every day, like we would polish furniture, they were polishing the furniture with the anointing oil and the cinnamon and the spices and the aroma that filled that tabernacle. The priest would know when they walked close to the tabernacle whether or not things were anointed or somebody was slacking on the job because there was a missing the aroma. It's believed that because they had such a quantity of this always on hand and ready to do their assignment that all those in this particular portion of the Levite tribe took as many bottles as they could, tucked them away in their robes and in their bags and carried them away into captivity with them just to hang on. They didn't know they were, I know that the prophet had been given them 70 years, but some of them didn't believe it, so they thought maybe they're going to be there a short time and make their way back. So they carried it away with them. But over time, pull the cork, no aroma, because it lost over time the cinnamon lost its essence. And then after a while, it got real tragic. I mean, even while it was close, I think they probably took a little moment, just ceremony, and said, no, we got to make this last, so let's just take a little oil and just, let's just, let's just you know, touch us and just, just to hang on to that anointing that we crave and desire and need. But after a while, it lost its aroma, and, well, they were doing it even though it no longer had its aroma, they were just going through emotions now. But there came a stage in that 70 years when the oil actually became rancid. It started going the other way. And at that point, they wanted to keep it corked. And they just did imaginary ceremonial practices. They were just going through the motions now. But there was a little boy who had experienced the real thing, who 70 years later hears an announcement. He actually hears two announcements, by the way, in case you don't know it. The first announcement that he heard, 
some believe was the announcement from Cyrus, king of Persia, that anybody wants to go home and rebuild the temple, you'll be free to go and as long as you would commit yourself to this assignment. That, some people believe that was the first announcement that he heard. I believe it was the second announcement that he heard. I believe the first announcement that he heard was by another guy by the name of Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel was also one of those people carried away in Babylonian captivity. He was a prophet in Babylonian exile. And just prior to King Cyrus making this decree, Ezekiel gets a vision. It's the vision of Ezekiel 37, commonly known as the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, which I hate that title, by the way. So I don't typically call it that. I did it for your benefit, but not for mine. I call it God's vision of raising up a great army because that's the outcome of that story, right? But Ezekiel makes a prophecy to the Jews in Babylonian captivity and here's what the Spirit showed him, that the, that the people were like dry bones and they were without hope. But God said to Ezekiel, prophesy, prophesy to these bones. So there's a boy over here who's of the tribe of Levi whose assignment is in the oil manufacturing business who gets up one day and he hears this prophet giving this vision about dry bones are gonna come alive and they're gonna, every bone is gonna come to its bone and then the sinews and the flesh are gonna come upon them but they're just still going to be dead bones and, and bodies laying on the ground and he's going to look to the wind and to the Lord and say their, their bodies are formed but there's no life in them and he's going to say prophesy to the wind which is the Holy Spirit and say oh ye wind blow upon these bones that they may live and I prophesied Ezekiel said as I was commanded and the wind blew upon these bones and they stood upon their feet like a mighty army. Do you know what an army is. It's not a social club. It's not a country club. It's a group of people on a mission for a purpose under the anointing and under a divine assignment of God. <laughs> and that boy goes to bed that night and he's dreaming. We're going home. The temple's going to be rebuilt. The, the process is going to be reignited. And I'm going to be anointed with fresh oil. Excuse me for a moment. But I love, I love the mental picture that is formed in Scripture about this anointing process. So imagine with me, just, just go on a journey with me. You can keep your eyes open. You can close your eyes. You can, however you like to imagine, you just do that, all right? But picture in your mind's eye, picture in your spirit with me what those anointing services look like way back when God first instituted Aaron and his sons to be anointed with oil. Imagine with me. They line up Aaron and his sons, and they, they take these ram's horns, and, and they begin to pour out this oil over their heads that's filled with that amazing blend of ingredients and aromas and smells that can be smelt all around. I mean, it's like opening a container and the whole atmosphere is changed by the aroma. Imagine the sacredness of that moment. Now, let me, let me change it. Don't look at Aaron and his son standing in the circle being anointed, put yourself in the circle for a moment. Imagine they've opened up that ram's horn and the aroma has now caught your attention and you know something's coming real soon. You close your eyes to take in the sacredness of that moment and as you stand in the presence of God and you hear the people praying all around you and they dedicate this moment to the Lord, then all of a sudden you feel that first drop of oil <laughs> just touches you on the top of your head. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you feel it growing. And it's increasing. And it's not like just this little bitty speck of oil they're going to anoint you with like sometimes we do today. But it's like they turn the whole thing upside down. And you're not being anointed with the little end of the horn. You're being anointed with the big end of the horn now. And you feel it flowing down the side of your face. You feel it trickling off of the end of your nose. 
As the anointing process continues down the side of your face and across your neck and making its way down your shoulders, your body becomes cool, even chilled by the awareness of God's presence. And at the same time, the warmth of the anointing that's gliding down your face, your arms, it's dripping off your fingers now. It's making a way down your waist. At the same time, that oil is creating a blanket over your body. It's flowing down your back and across the front of your body until it begins to drip from the hem of your clothing. And it begins to create a puddle, a puddle of oil at your feet. It's at this point that at that sacred moment when you're completely saturated and, 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 and around your feet is a puddle of this oil, it's at this point that you're instructed to balance on one foot as you raise the other to allow the oil to slide in under your foot. And then you set your foot down in that puddle of oil and raise your other foot so the oil can gather below it so that it can be said you were anointed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. There's an imagery that goes with this, by the way. That when they have been anointed and under their feet has been anointed with oil, that when they walk away, that they leave footprints of oil wherever they go. And it is the imagery that God wants on your life that when you are anointed, you're not just anointed when you stand behind the pulpit or stand on the stage or teach in the classroom, but wherever you go, you're leaving the footprints of the anointing of the Holy Ghost wherever you go. I'm not crazy, friends. The book of Deuteronomy in verse 33 and verse number 24 declares the blessing of the Lord upon a man by the name of Asher in such a great manner that it says, and may he dip his foot in oil so he can leave his footprint everywhere he goes. No doubt that's the image that Jesus was drawing from in Luke chapter 4 when he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me. He was being covered in his spirit. He was being covered and saturated by this fresh oil, by this fresh anointing. And this is the image that this little Levite boy who's now 70 years later envisioning going home, he's saying, I'm going home. And no longer do we have to just go through the motions. No longer does my anointing have to be a faint memory. No longer does my scent have to be challenged to remember what it smelled like. No longer do we have to discard it because it's become rancid and undesirable. But now I get to go back to the Father's house and I get to lift my hands to my creator almighty and say I am anointed in this hour to fulfill my assignment lift my horn like the horn of a unicorn and anoint my head with fresh oil do you want to be anointed with fresh oil come on get on your feet lift your hands and cry out to God I want to be anointed I want to be anointed with fresh oil tonight. Oh, anoint us with fresh oil tonight, Father. Anoint us with fresh oil. There's some, Lord, because of pandemic and because of separation and church closures and disruptions of life, Lord, it's not, it's not intended that they would somehow slip from that divine experience but God life has just thrown so much at them oh God so much has been thrown at them they keep coming to church sometimes they're like the woman who'd been bowed over with a spirit of infirmity for 18 years they keep coming to church even though they're bent out of shape, can't stand upright and function fully the way spiritually they're supposed to. All hell has broke loose across our nation and around our world. I'm convinced the devil fears the last day revival more than anything. And so he is throwing chaos and everything he can, confusion, disease, 
It doesn't matter. He's going to throw everything he can at this world and at the church to try to derail us, distract us, to disarm us, dismantle us. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Oh, ye dry bones. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. I hear a rattling. I hear bones coming together with bones. I, I see something in the spirit. I see sinews coming back on those bones. I see the skin coming back on those bones. I, I see some people who are they're trying to hold it together. They're trying to be whole and complete, but there's something missing. They need the fresh wind of the Holy Ghost. They need a fresh oil. We need fresh oil. We need fresh oil. Oh, God, we need fresh oil. I don't know the order that you do. I don't know if your prayer partners come first or the prayer partners come after the people. Whatever your order is, if you come first, come on first. If you come later, you'll come later. So if you're a prayer partner and you'd like to get in front of the line so you can help me pray for these folks, it'll make you for me comfortable. I do not mind putting on a mask. I don't want to be alienated from anybody. I'll do whatever I need to do. I, I want you to be comfortable. But I want to lay hands on as many people as I possibly can here tonight to help me. I want these elders to help me lay hands on as many people as we can tonight. But if there's a cry in your heart, if there's a craving inside you, if there's a longing for something stronger than what you've had, <laughs> if you're ready for fresh oil, then while they sing for us, while they create atmosphere, God's going to provide anointing I just want you to step out. I just want you to step out. I just want you to come. Just lift your hands to heaven. Say, Father, I've been, I've been in Babylonian captivity. I've been shut out. I've been shut up. This pandemic's messed up my world. I need fresh anointing. I want fresh oil for the singing ministry that I have. I want fresh oil for the teaching ministry that I have. I want fresh oil to be a good parent, to be a good father, to be a good mother. I want fresh oil to be a good witness. I want fresh oil to, to, do, uh, to be a good greeter. I want fresh oil to be a good usher. I want to be fresh oil to be a good musician in the house. I don't want to play in my talent. I don't want to sing in my ability. I want to be anointed with fresh oil. Come on, lift your voices. Come on, cry out. Cry out to God. Let's cry. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 